Greg Rubel of Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We want to thank you for your interest in God's Word and this message. We pray that God puts it into your heart. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1 this morning. Luke chapter 1, we're going to really be looking at portions, uh, verses 46, 47, and 48. So it's Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 46, it says this, My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has been mindful. My soul glorifies in the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has been mindful. I want to talk to you today about the topic of joy. What is joy? If you want a definition... I thought we could look to Charles Spurgeon. He was a 19th century guy, a pastor. A lot of people refer to him as the Prince of Preachers. And I'll tell you, pretty much everything that I've read of his, I would say about 95% of it is worth cross-stitching and putting on your wall. Okay? So, so if, if he has a definition, it's probably worth at least looking at. And he says this about joy. He says that joy is the accord of the heart with the joy of heaven. Okay, that's what Charles Spurgeon says is joy. He says it's the accord of the heart with the joy or the happiness or we might say the reality of heaven. For the Christian, to have joy means internally to be filled with the knowledge of God. Okay, that is joy. It's the joy of heaven. I mean, you know, what is, what is heaven so psyched about right now? God. Heaven is excited about God. God is the joy of heaven. It's the glory of God. And so joy, we can understand that for the Christian, it's, it's a spirit-given emotion. Okay, It's a purpose. It's, it's an attitude within the heart that, again, it's stemming from that knowledge of God. That knowledge that is able... Listen. Knowledge that is able... To remain aflame when the winds of the world blow. You know, it's that kind of knowledge. It's that kind of reality. It has that kind of ability to remain aflame 
when the worlds of this wind blow about you. It's that kind of joy. You know, it's, it's that kind of joy that I'm praying that you will know today. You know, what kind of joy is this? I'll tell you what kind of joy it is. It's the kind of joy like Amy Carmichael had. That's the kind of joy it is. Now, who is Amy Carmichael? Well, listen, she was a, 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 in the 19th century, you know, she was a young gal. And she felt called by God to go out and to reach uh, people who had never heard about Jesus. And so as a single lady, uh, you know, she uh, never married. She settled in India where, guys, she labored for 50 years there in India. She never returned home again. She never left, never took furlough. But she remained in India where while she was there, she worked to rescue uh, children who were enslaved uh, in the Hindu temples, in the orphans, those who were, were being rejected uh, by society. She was there and she would reach out to them. And she would go out around to the villages close to where she lived. And, and she would share Christ uh, with people that were in those villages. But guys, I'll tell you, because uh, I read her biography and I'm telling you, it was story after story after story of scorn and rejection in her life. That's what she experienced. Moment after moment, day after day, encounter after encounter of scorn and rejection. The doors of the Hindu temples, obviously, they were shut in her face. The gates were locked. As she would go out into the villages, the the people would stand up uh, on their porches, and she'd be down there in the street, and she would look up at them, and she would tell them about Christ. And just one by one, those people, they would they would just turn their backs to her, and they would walk back into their houses and close the door. You know, even from the Christian community, uh, Amy faced a lot of scorn and a lot of a lot of rejection. You know, constantly she was being questioned by other Christians. Constantly, you know, she was being scrutinized. Year after year. Fifty years that went on. But do you know what Amy said about her joy? You're going to love this. I've got it. Can words tell the joy buried deep within? She said, mine cannot. It laughs at Words. Man. You understand what she's saying there? She's saying, you know, my joy, it laughs at an explanation. The joy that I have within me here in India, away from my family, away from my friends, away from everything that I grew up with. My joy laughs at description. That's the kind of joy that's offered to you. Okay, it's that kind of joy that can be yours today. It's the kind of joy that Mary had. You know, Mary, she said, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has been mindful. Okay, Mary had that joy and you can have that joy today. You know, as I was reading uh, through Luke chapter 1 this week, Really, uh, my first observation uh, or impression, I would say, from that chapter was that God was on the move. 
You know, here at this this point, this time in, in history, God was on the move. You know, when you when you read the beginning of chapter one, the the book opens up and we learn about a priest. The priest's name is Zechariah, and he's serving in the temple. And we're told that an angel of the Lord uh, he comes to Zechariah and he tells him that that his wife is going to give birth to a son. And Zechariah is uh, taken aback by this because his wife uh, is not able to have children. And he tells the angel this. And the angel says, okay, well, since uh, you are doubting me because of your unbelief, you're not going to be able to speak until your wife uh, gives birth, until it comes to be. And so the angel, he zips his lips there. So really right from the beginning here in Luke 1, it's like, wow, I mean, that's, I mean, that's pretty miraculous, right? That's a pretty big deal. I mean, this angel showing up in the temple, he's sealing the lips of this man, his wife Elizabeth, who, who's not supposed to be able to have children. I mean, suddenly she can have children. That, that's a big deal. God is on the move here. There, there's something unusual happening. There's a stirring here. And then we learn a short time later that, that Mary, she goes to um, there in the town of Nazareth. And we're told that the angel, you know, he came to Mary. And, and the angel, well, he tells Mary that, listen, you know, I know that you've never been with a man, but guess what? You're going to have a child. So again, wow, I mean, that's a pretty big uh, deal. I mean, she's never been with a man, yet she's going to have a child. So, so there's stirring. There's happening there. A short time later, Mary, she goes to visit Elizabeth, okay, Zachariah's wife, who is now pregnant. And we're told that, that when Elizabeth heard Mary's voice, the scripture says that the baby did a double flip with a half twist. It was unbelievable, never before done. Not really, but, but we're told that the baby, what, he leaped, he leaped up inside of her. So can you see the movement here? Can you see the movement? That's happening at this point in history. Mary saw the movement. She, she recognized God and she responded that he has done great things. You see, she had joy in God's movement. And you and I, we can have joy in God's movement. That's the first thing that we can learn from Mary. That I can have joy in the movement of God. I can have joy when I see God move. But you know, I would venture uh, that a number of us here today, because we've all been there at one time or another, um, I think a lot of us, you know, are saying today, you know, I want to see God move. I mean, I do. I mean, I remember I've seen him move in the past. And, I, and I, I believe he can move. And so Shane, I'm telling you, I mean, I've been watching. I've been watching for him. I've been looking for the movement. But I'm not seeing it. You know, I, I, I'm not seeing God move. I, I'm not seeing him move in my life. I'm not seeing him move in my family. I'm not seeing him move in my church. So you're telling me that I can have joy in God's movement. But what do I do when I can't see him move? What do I do in that moment, in that situation, when I'm at that place in life? How do I find joy when I don't see Him move? 
let me tell you about how God is like a Christmas tree. Okay, because this is going to just make it all uh, all clear for you, hopefully. Now, something that you should know about Christmas trees. Every year around this time, you know, Pastor Greg and I, we get into a, a bit of a banter, a bit of a sparring match um, regarding the whole topic of Christmas trees. Because really, fundamentally, we're at odds with one another, you know, on this particular subject. Because you see... You know, Pastor Greg, he has, I don't want to call it a fake tree, because I don't want to diminish, you know, it brings your family joy. So I don't want to call it fake. So like, is it like pre-lit or like artificial? Okay. So Pastor Greg has an artificial tree, where I, on the other hand, I have a real tree, right? And I feel very strongly. Uh, that you should have a real tree. And so, you know, Greg feels strongly, I feel strongly. So we go back and forth about this time. Uh, every year I come in uh, to the church here and I complain because I had to spend 50 or $60 on a Christmas tree. And um, Pastor Greg just smiles and, well, I didn't have to pay anything. You know, and, and so then I remind him, you know, that, I mean, I'm more godly because I have a real tree, right? <clears throat> And I'll tell you, I don't know what the, I know this is a little, but I don't know what the deal is with real trees right now. Because the girls and I, like after th- the day after Thanksgiving, we always go to Home Depot and we get a real Christmas tree. And guys, I'm telling you, we like walked in there this year and as we're walking out, people are like looking at us. You know, I'm I'm not making it, this is not embellished. They're like, look, and they're like leaning over and they're like whispering and they're like talking to one another. I'm like, what is going on? You know, and this lady comes up and she, she says, Sir, is that a is that a real tree? She's like whispering, like it's some kind of covert operation going on. I'm like, why, why are you whispering? You know, it, it, is that a real? Do they sell real trees here? I was like, yeah, you know, they sell real trees. I mean, and then, you know, then another lady comes up and she says, is that a Fraser fir? Oh, oh, I remember when we used to have Fraser furs in our house, but, but we don't anymore. We have a fake, I mean, a, an artificial, you know, we have, we have an artificial tree now. You know, we, we have an artificial tree. And I'm just like, you know, what, what kind of a, of a world am I living in? <laughs> like we've become a novelty because we have a real tree in our house. But anyway, I want to talk to you about how God is like a Christmas tree. And please note, a real Christmas tree, okay? <laughs> And because because we don't have a real Christmas tree here, and I understand that, and that's fine. But un- imagine that this tree is a real Christmas tree, and not only that it's a real Christmas tree, I mean that it's out in the woods, okay? That it is where God intended it to be, and it is existing and living. Now, when you look at that tree over here, can you see it move? No. Right? I mean, that's, that's a pretty still tree. There's no movement happening here. But let me tell you how God is like a Christmas tree. Understand that just because we don't see movement, that doesn't mean that it's not happening. Okay? Just because we do not see movement, that does not mean that movement is not happening. For example, one of the things uh, that, that we know about trees, all of us you know, know this, is that you know, we breathe in oxygen, right? We breathe in pure oxygen and we breathe out 
carbon dioxide, poisonous gas. But you know the needles of that tree, what did the needles of that tree do? Well, the needles of that tree, they, they breathe in, they absorb that poisonous gas, and in turn, from that poison, it produces purity. You know, it, it makes oxygen. It produces clean air for us. So understand that the Christmas tree, what's it do? Well, it can take in poison and it can turn out purity. It produces purity. You know, stream, understand, there is movement, you know, that's going on in that tree. There's movement that's happening in the Christmas tree. Did you know? I know you knew about the carbon dioxide. But did you know that if you live 150 miles inland, okay, so away from the ocean, did you know that most of your rainfall comes from trees? Okay, most of your rainfall comes from trees. There are some trees, guys, that can drink up to 200 gallons of water a day. Okay, they drink up that water. And so what happens then is that there are cells within that tree that all the time they're, they're carrying up water up their branches, up, up the trunk of that tree. And as they carry up that water, the water that they don't use, it, it's released, it evaporates, and it, it goes up into the sky where eventually it condenses and returns as rainfall. So what's the Christmas tree doing? It's watering Dry land. Okay? It's taking what is poison. It's returning that which is pure. And it's watering dry land. Though we might not see the tree move right at this moment, we know that there are countless creatures, ecosystems even, that live in those trees, that live on those trees. Trees are a shelter from the the strong wind, right? Trees are a shelter from the storm. So it's a a shelter, it's a refuge, it's it's a home. And then think about the roots of the Christmas tree. Think about those roots. They hold the soil in place. They protect the quality of life that lives in the water. And listen to this. You know, you're going to love this. I know, I was like, you love the Amy Carmack quote. But this is the best one right here. Okay? This is the best quote of the day, in my humble opinion, <laughs> for Living Streams, our church. You know what a, a tree does? It makes the way clear for those in the stream. I mean, that's pretty, you know. I mean, for us, you know, Living Streams... I mean, that's what Christmas trees do. They make the way clear for those in the stream. They, they filter out those impurities. They keep the soil from running into the water. And they make the way clear. So the Christmas tree, it purifies. It waters. It protects. It makes the way clear. So I want you to know today that just because you're not seeing God move, That does not mean that he is still. Okay? That does not mean that he 
is still. Just because you're not seeing and moving today in your life. Just because you're not seeing and move in your family. Just because you're not seeing and move in your church. That does not mean that he does not move or is not moving. God's like a Christmas tree in that way. Now a lot of people today, you know, they will tell you that God no longer moves. That's a common belief. And they'll say, you know, I do believe in God, um, but I believe that at some point he, he removed his hand uh, from over this earth. And so, yeah, I think God's out there. Yeah, I think he probably had something to do uh, with creation. But as far as being active, as far as moving, no, he doesn't, he doesn't do that anymore. But guys, I want to suggest to you today that God is every bit as active today as he was days one through six of creation. He's every bit as active. Understand that throughout history and in our lives, there are times when God uproots and shocks the world. He can do that. We have a shocking God. That's the kind of God that we serve. He can uproot and He can shock. But understand as well that whether He uproots or whether He stands strong, He's still moving. He's still moving, whether uprooted or standing strong. Know that today and have joy today in that, just like Mary did. She saw all that was going on, all that was happening with Zachariah and with Elizabeth and, and what happened with her. And that she saw it in Elizabeth's baby. She had joy in the movement of God. You know what else she had joy in? She also had joy in God's might. That's the second thing that we see that Mary had joy in. She had joy in his might and so I also can have joy in God's might. Mary said in verse 46, My soul glorifies the Lord. Now when you look at that word glorifies, in a lot of versions, instead of glorify, they'll use the word magnify. Okay, it'll say magnify. So my soul magnifies the Lord. What does that mean to magnify? Well, to magnify, it means to enlarge. Okay? It means to expand. To make much of. To make uh, bigger. In some cases. But please understand that when we're talking about magnifying God, know that when we talk about expanding God, there's nothing that I can do to make God bigger than He is. Okay? Know that from the get-go. There is nothing that I can do to make God bigger than He is. One of the endless frustrations that I have with myself is how I continually get into this, this thought where somehow, some way, God needs me on His advisory board. First of all, that God even has an advisory board. But I get this thinking that, that God needs me to tell Him what to do. And so, like, I go to him, you know, and I'm telling him, you know, God, this, this is a great opportunity over here for you, God. You should pursue this. And so, so I try to instruct God. I try to advise God. 
As if we were not already creative enough, all-knowing enough. I try to give him new ideas. He obviously has not thought about this before. What about this? When I see that the king, that he needs a chairman. You know, he needs a chairman over his expansion efforts. I volunteer. I say, hey, God, you know, I can, uh, I can do that and I will keep you informed of all my activities, you know, as I go about uh, my day. But, you know, uh, John Piper, pastor and author, you know, he says this about my opinion of God, what I think about God, my instructions for God. He says this, my opinion is about as consequential as the creaking of a window in the wind when it comes to God. What you think about God In regards to who he is and how he's going to act, it's irrelevant. Think about the scripture in Romans 11. You know, what does it say? It says, oh great, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For, For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows how to give him advice? The King James, it says, who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? So when we talk about making much of God, making God bigger, expanding God, understand there is nothing I can do To make God bigger than he is. While that is true. Let me say this. While that is true. That there's nothing I can do. To make God bigger than he is. It is true. That I can enlarge him in my own life. Okay. While I can't make God bigger than he is. I can enlarge him in my own life. How do I do that? Through magnification. Through magnification of what? Magnification of his might. Through magnification of God's might. And we see that's what Mary did in Luke 1. She called God the mighty one who does mighty deeds. That was her name for God, the mighty one. She meditated on the might of God, all that God was doing in her life. And as as she did that, her view of him, her knowledge of God was enlarged. It was magnified. And what happened? What was the result of the magnification of might? Joy. The joy of heaven. That's what she had. Kent Hughes, uh, he's a pastor, writer, teacher, He says this, the fuller our knowledge of the greatness of God, the greater our ability to enlarge him. Okay, he says, the fuller our knowledge of the greatness of God, the greater our ability to enlarge him. That we would enlarge him today in our life. We would fill up our hearts today with the the knowledge of God, that we would fully recognize the, the might of your moving king and that through that recognition that joy would rise, that the joy of heaven... That, would, that it would rise up in this house. For God, we understand, He is immortal, and He is invisible, and He is supreme, and He is altogether radiant, and He is altogether forevermore and ever after, for all eternity. Glorious and full. Do you know your God today? Do you know who He is? Do you know all that He can do? The acts that He can perform? 
Andrew Murray said, if there is trouble in the house of God, he said, if there is feebleness in the house of God, it is because of this that we do not know the God we have. Because that's the source of the trouble. Whether there be trouble, whether there be feebleness in the house of God, it is because we do not know the God we have. Magnify him in your heart. Meditate on his might. Allow that meditation then to enlarge God in your heart. Have joy in his might. Mary, she had joy in God's movement and she had joy in God's might. And then we see also, uh, thirdly, that she had joy in God's mindfulness. Mary had joy in God's mindfulness. Our passage, it says, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for He has been mindful. He's been mindful of me. And you know, immediately when I read that, I think about Psalm 8, 4. You know, who is man that you would be mindful of him? God, who am I that you would be mindful of me? You know, as we dwell on this moving God, this mighty God today, who am I to be regarded by him? What have I done to garner his, his look that he would, would in some way notice me? Not only notice me, but that he would show me concern. You know, when I think about Mary, I mean, you know, just this little girl in Nazareth. I mean, guys, nobody knew about her. No one. She didn't have any Twitter followers or, you know, Instagram accounts or any of that business. She was just working there in her home. I mean, she was doing, you know, what her mom had told her to do. I mean, she was essentially nothing from nowhere. I mean, in the eyes of the world, nothing from nowhere was Mary. But what a wonder it was then that God had chosen her for this task, for this appointment. Nobody else knew her, but God did. And I want you to know today that God knows you today. You know, God knows you as you're just breathing, you know, just doing your thing in your home or at your job or at school. Know that this moving, mighty God knows you. And he's known you for a long time. A long time. He's known you before anybody else did. He saw you when you thought no one else did or no one else could or no one else would. God saw you. And he sees you today. He is mindful of you and where you're at. Believe that. You know, believe that today. You know what I think it would be good for us to do? But I know that none of us will, okay? So don't feel guilty about this. Um, it's, I know that we're not going to do it, which is fine. 
You don't need something else to do. But if you were to do something, what would be neat would be to take just a moment and write down the three biggest highs in your life and write down the three deepest lows. Okay, the three biggest highs and the three deepest lows. And then next, next to those six, those six moments in your life, just write, he was mindful. 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 Understand that every moment God has been there. And every moment he always will be. He will always be there for you. You know, one of the things um, that continues to mar- marvel me about our king is that he is so large and he's so strong, he's so complete and he's, he's so armed And yet, there's this tenderness there. This mindfulness. I mean, there's this careful and delicate watch that God maintains over us in this, along with His strength and His might, His ability. You know, there's this tender care. You know, what's it say? Uh, I think it's Matthew 6. You know, God said, I, I care so wonderfully for the flowers when I surely care for you. You know, that's crazy. You know, how God, how he, he's both of those things, how he can be all of that. And yet, you know, guys, in my life, he shows me that again and again and again. While I am able, I fully care. And I'm going to come through. You know, it was several years ago, and I had gone back to to school to get a degree in accounting, and so I was finishing up that degree. So I was trying to get a job in accounting, and I wasn't having a whole lot of luck. And uh, Ruby, I think, had just been born. So man, I'm watching, you know, the moolah in the bank account. Boy, it was just. You know, it was going down the accounts. I was starting to sweat, you know, pretty good about this this whole matter. And, you know, but wouldn't have any luck with a job. So I ended up getting uh, a job with an account or a, a temp agency, you know, an accounting temp agency. So, you know, that took forever to get going. But finally, you know, $8 an hour, here I go, you know, I'm out to um, IU Health. Downtown, and so they wanted me to like process these invoices. I was like in the accounts payable department, and so I was supposed to like look at all these invoices, and I was supposed to put them in these these different batches. And I mean, guys, every you know every invoice it was completely different. You know, it looked entirely different, and in the numbers and the meanings and different abbreviations, it, it was just foreign every single invoice. And I'm supposed to be doing this like really fast, right? I'm not supposed to be turning these out. That's I'm a temp. That's what I do. You know, I'm fast. And I remember after about two weeks of that, on the way home, I got a phone call, and it was from CGS uh, in Morristown, and 
it was the vice president and she uh, said, hey, you know, I've got an opening here and, you know, it's uh, benefits and overtime and, you know, vacation, all those things. And you know, I'd like for you to come and, and to take this position. And so I said, okay, well, you know, I'd uh, be very interested in doing that. I am at this, this job right now, but I will certainly give you a call back. So she said, okay. Well, guys, while I was talking to her on the phone, guess who was leaving me a voicemail? It was the temp agency. And I was not doing well. <laughs> they were going to let me go, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, man, you know, I'd never been let go before, you know. I'm like, man, I, I mean, I was trying as hard as I could. I promise I was. But what, what blew me away was the tenderness and the mindfulness of God. I mean, here I was, and, you know, I got this degree, and, man, the, the, the money was getting really low, and so I was trying to provide. I mean, if, if I had gotten my first pink slip, I would have been crushed. I mean, I would have been devastated. And yet God had the tenderness to see me in that moment and say, you know what, that's going to tear him up. So I'm going to send someone right at this moment, right as they're calling him on the other line. I'm going to call and bring deliverance for him. Guys, that is nothing more than divine mindfulness. It's mindfulness of our king. It's mindfulness that he offers to you today. I thought about it. I think it's really time to tell the Coke bottle story. Not all of you have heard the Coke bottle story. I've never talked about the Coke bottles, you know, up front. Uh, But, you know, one-on-one, many of you have heard the story of the Coke bottles. So I'm now going to tell you. So Nicole was pregnant, right? And, uh, and so, which was like, wow, you know, and then, then she finds out, you know, well, it's going to be a boy and it's like, you know, another wow. And, um, so then comes the whole naming process and I enjoy, you know, naming and talking through it and trying to figure out, well, what should we name it? Um, but really right from the beginning, I mean, I felt like God had told me, you know, that Samuel, that his name was supposed to be Samuel. But, you know, when you, like, receive one of those impressions from God, you know, a lot of times, like, eh, was that really God, or am I just, like, is that indigestion, or, like, what's, you know, what's, what's happening inside of me here? You know, and you begin to question that, because you don't want to say it was God, you know, if it's not God. So I wasn't getting too, <clears throat> too worked up about it, but I told Nicole, and I said, I think God wants his name to be Samuel. And she said, okay, well, you know, that's, that's a pretty good name. But she wasn't sure. And she told me, you know, she said, I'm feeling a lot of pressure about this name chain because it's the only boy, you know. And Lord, I mean, you know, God can do anything, but as far as I know, this will be the only boy, okay? Um, but that, you know, that's up to God. I'm not. But she said, you know, I've got a lot of pressure over this name because it's the only boy. And so, you know, man, it's, this is a one shot, shot kind of a deal. So she had some anxiety. She's had some angst over it. So every year, I'll move along here. Every year, you know, we go to Kings Island. But Nicole couldn't go this year because she was like eight months pregnant. So, you know, the poor thing. She's like crying on the, you know, on the deck and waving to us as we're, you know, driving down the driveway to go to Kings Island. It was just awful. And, and so the girls and I were at Kings Island. 
Well, as the, as the day goes by, you know, we do our rides and all that. Well, at the end of the day, you know, we get some pizza. And I'm like, well, we got to get some Coke, you know, to drink with the pizza. So I go up to the vendor and I'm like, hey, you know, I'll take two Cokes. Okay. I'm not making this up. I've got the Coke bottles right here. Okay. I'm going to prove it to you. So, so he gives me these two Coke bottles. And so I look at these two bottles here. Okay. And this, on this side, you know, it says, share this Coke with Nicole. And I'm like, then I turn this one over, and the guy gave them to me. I did not pick these out, okay? I turn it, share this Coke with Samuel. I'm like, whoop, there he is. That is the mindfulness of God right there. Now, I didn't want to drink the Coke, but daggone, I paid $5 a bottle. And I'm like, we are drinking that Coke. But, you know, I didn't tell, I didn't tell Nicole. And so I put him in the, whatever, the backpack, and I, I took him home. And the next day, uh, I was at the, at the farm, and, and so I called Nicole. I was like, hey, look, look in that bag in there. And so she went and looked, and, I think maybe I texted her or something. But so I called her and I said, you know, so what, what do you think? She said, I've just been laughing and crying. I've just been laughing and crying all day. I just can't believe it. It's just so amazing. It's just so amazing, you know. <laughs> but again, what is that? I mean, that's just the sweet tenderness. That's the mindfulness of God. You know, he knew what Nicole was feeling, the pressure, you know, that she felt. He knew what he said. He knew what he wanted done. He was going to make all things right. That's what our God does. I want you to know today that our moving God, our mighty God, he is mindful of you. And stream, it's my prayer that you would find great joy just as Mary did when she said, My spirit rejoices in God, for he has been mindful of me. So he's mindful of us today. You just bow your heads with me. I just want to encourage you to to still your heart uh, before the king today. And if there's something that God's been tugging on your heart today. I just want to encourage you to give that to him here. Great king who is able to move. Great king who is so full of my great king who's mindful over me. Mindfulness over me is unmatched. God, we come before you today. Oh, the discouragement that our hearts face. The doubt that I wrestle with. So much fear. So much fear around me. 
May you be enlarged today in my life. Would you become bigger than the discouragement? Would you become bigger than the doubt? Would you become bigger than the fear that I have today? Oh, the joy, the sweetness of the joy of heaven that we would reach out and that we would take hold of that today. Enlarge him. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, we're going to close uh, this morning with communion and just, you know, just want to, want you to continue on in that attitude of prayer. I mean, let's be floored by the, the, the movement and the might and the mindfulness of God over us. You know, the fact that, that he was willing to send his most precious, his only son, send him here to earth to die on the cross for our sins, opening up a way that through faith we might have that joy of heaven. If you're visiting with us today, I want you to know that you don't have to be a member of our church to participate uh, in communion, but you do need to be uh, a member of the body of Christ. When the elements are uh, ready, you're welcome to come up here along the, the sides. You can serve yourself and you're welcome to return to your seat or you can sit up, uh, sit up front, kneel up front here. You know, one of the things, uh, I read recently from a dietitian is it's not a good idea to eat fast, okay? So don't feel like you have to eat fast here this morning, okay? Be still, meditate on his movement and might, mindfulness, okay? Participate in faith, what our Savior has done. So we'll just pray for that. Father, uh, the night... Uh, before your son Jesus uh, was crucified, he said, this is my body, take and eat. This is my blood shed for you, take and drink. And, and it's through uh, faith, through faith in Christ, his work on the cross, uh, that we participate in that. We just acknowledge that, that we are a part of you. You are now a part of us. And we just want to celebrate uh, that union today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.